0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert
2: Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I I just, (laughs) I love that.
1: Share your question or comments using the live chat feature on our website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Again, that's www.allaboutwinebtr.com. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron.
0: Wow. You know, I think it really sounds like they are more cheery tonight than they have been in the past. I think it's because we added wait, well, I got a little fan outside and it's kinda of helping okay, them. Help. I mean it's a, it, yeah, it's it's a small, it's like I don't know, what, four inches across or something. It's not that big of a fan, but you know, they're it's they're not, all, not they're a they're big all pleased. fan. You you know, No, just no. Yeah, it's just okay. a, it's yeah. a small port. It's battery operated. You know, it, battery's probably good for about another you know ten, fifteen minutes or so. But at least it's some air that that keeps them cool. I think that's what the thing is.
2: Yeah, well, so, yeah, I read a little bit there's... about it. Yeah, and I said big yeah. ass fan. I'm not. There is a fan company out there called Big Ass Fan. Mhm. And so <laughs> that's what I was referring to. And they are. They go in <laughs> warehouses and stuff. And the blades are like
0: you know yeah. eight feet long, me, uh, and twelve feet. Let me change but the. It's not uh, one of those. Access to the age limit now is 13 plus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> visibility must be adult. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay that we're talking. It's okay that we're talking about an alcoholic beverage and wine and sometimes beer and you know other you know alcoholic beverages right. out there. That's fine. But you said the A word. Let me change the uh age limit to the <laughs> program now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of the company. You know, so. of course. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's so, Yeah, there we are. Woohoo. It's uh, June something and here we go. It's good. It's good time.
2: Here we go. <laughs> Uh, before I forget it, we will not have a show next week. Okay. Because uh, it is the 4th of July.
0: Yes, it is. So yes, it if you're
2: is. in the United States, you understand. If you're listening to this from another country, we celebrate the 4th of mm-hmm. July for the independence of our country. And
0: so, mm-hmm.
2: and 4th of July, we usually head over to the uh, family's house and and enjoy the barbecue and all that usually lasts into the evening, so won't be available so no show next week. Right. But the week after we'll be back. So so don't despair. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't panic or anything. And my daughter's birthday's tomorrow so I had a little quick shout out to her for
0: her Oh, happy birthday. She, We're
2: yeah, to... she turns forty. I keep telling her she's middle of age and she gets really upset about
0: that. But, oh no, that's uh, not that's not middle of age. She, she yeah, still has well, a ways to go. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. <laughs> I know that's what she keeps saying. I'm not middle aged. something but yeah, her
0: birthday. tomorrow. So. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Good. Uh-huh. Now I'll, she I'll is she on, in now. uh what she's in a different state, right? She's in um.
2: She's in Utah. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay she's in yeah, Utah. She's in Who in Utah. Ac- you have relatives in Kansas too, or or um, Missouri? Uh, yeah, Missouri. Missouri, okay.
2: Yeah, I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and so I have okay. relatives in actually in Kearney, Missouri, which is famous for Jesse James. I have a sister and brother in law that live there. And huh. and then I have a sister that lives in Liberty, Missouri, which is where the first daytime hold up of a bank was held by Jesse James. Wow. And uh yeah, well, Jesse James is is famous around that part of the part of the country. Heck yeah. And Mm -hmm. he was, you know, and everybody's going, oh Jesse James. Jesse James was a bank robber and a train robber, and you know he was a a bad guy. But everybody goes, oh Jesse James. So yeah, oh well. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I have other relatives that live around there. Then I have my son and wife and grandchildren live up in uh, uh, Dacula, uh, which is north of Atlanta. And actually, that's it for my family. Oh, I have, I have family in Iowa. My dad's from Iowa originally. I have a family. And I have a cousin who lives in Texas who sent me that thing about Texas that I forwarded to you yesterday. So, that's okay. where I got that.
0: Good so, Yeah,
2: cool. Yeah. As if everybody mm-hmm. out there and all about wine land cares about <laughs> this stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's the,
0: yeah. The more you know. Where's the the uh, more you know. The more you in NBC, know. Yeah. The more you know. That's, that's right. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, very cool.
2: So well, you put up your the myth and mineralogy, and like, well, you know, I lost that article. I've been searching for the last hour trying to find that article, and I lost that article. I lost that. Whoops. Well, it was actually, it's online. I lost it. I don't know. I'm, I don't know where it is, so I guess we're not going to be talking about it. <laughs> minerality tonight i I to find that not am trying to find it so
0: change that then let me see if I can change it real quick yeah I'll change
2: that and uh, we'll we'll talk about other important stuff uh, instead the science of enzymes in wine i I won't get in real detail on that, but that's a little interesting stuff there a little bit about that and uh we'll talk about some classic wines and uh yeah, just a few other things right there. We got we got things cool. we got things to talk about. That's not a problem. Never has been a problem. So, cool. uh, uh, also, yeah. uh, remind everybody, you're going to everybody, you gonna be doing your program next Thursday morning? Since it's the fourth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. As usual. Uh, Sky yeah. Blue Radio. Every Thursday morning from seven to nine a.m. Eastern Time, uh, tune in, and listen to Mike. He takes requests. He, you know, entertains you uh, very well for a couple of hours there. So if you're, Thank you. if you're up and about and you want to get a Sky Blue ready, you have to register to get into it. But it's a very simple process. You know, two or three
0: clicks and you're in. So. I think uh, I think you can just listen to it from the website or download the apps, and that doesn't ask you anything but okay. the chat chat is hosted on discord, so yeah that's a that's a registration, but everything else it should be uh, oh, okay. uh, the players and stuff but um and then they replay it again on Friday afternoon, which is cool now, so that started last oh, really? week, so that cool. was yeah, that's nice so they they just do a it's called a rewind so they play it again at five p m tomorrow, so cool, kinda oh, get more that, of an audience is. out there, All right. yeah.
2: So 5 um, to 7 tomorrow and then uh, next Thursday morning,
0: five. 7 to 9. Seven. And, seven uh, nine. yeah,
2: I, I registered it, you know, and that's, that's why I was thinking you have to register uh, yeah. to the website. It says listen now, I think, and, and you can just click on yeah.
0: it. Yeah, so, thank uh, you. But if you
2: want to ask him about something or <laughs> you want to request a song, and he's pretty good about reading that stuff and getting requests in for you. So <laughs> do yeah. that. <laughs> and since you're going to be off next Thursday, most everybody, because of mm-hmm. the holiday, it's mm-hmm. a good chance to listen to them. You won't be Thank worrying you. about work or anything.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thank you. <clears throat> Very cool. So Thanks.
2: We've got, we got that stuff, uh, stuff taken care of, our little promos there. Um, yeah. All right, what's what's coming up on food? And I'll give you two weeks' worth here since we're not going to be doing the program next week because it's the uh, 4th of July. And our Independence Day. I guess it's better to say Independence Day instead of Fourth of July, because everybody has the Fourth of July. If you're using a, a Bulgarian calendar, then you do have the Fourth of July. Your uh, grade school thing does. Does uh, Britain have Fourth of July? And everybody goes, No, aren't they? Go, No. Well, yeah, they do. They have Fourth of July just like everybody in the world. They don't have Independence Day. So today. 27th of June is Nat- National Orange Blossom Day. If you haven't celebrated it with orange stuff and catch it for the last few hours of the day, tomorrow, National Tapioca Day. I don't like tapioca. I don't know what wine you would pair with tapioca, though. That baffles me. Saturday, National Almond Buttercrunch Day. The Almond Buttercrunch. Uh, have some light, light wine with that. That would be good, Some something nice and soft. Sunday, Mai Tai Day, National Bajar Day, and also National Ice Cream Soda Day. They're giving these things here to me that aren't going to be paired with wine. Coming into July is first day of July, National Ginger Snap Day and Creative Ice Cream Flavor Day. So uh, I'm sure there's wines that will pair with ginger snaps and with ice cream. Also, July is National Baked Bean Month, Culinary Arts Month, Hot Dog Month, which both makes sense to make sense, baked beans and hot dogs, because of Independence Day. And uh, it's also uh, Ice Cream Month, Picnic Month, Pickle Month grilling month, and a watermelon month, all rather obvious ones for July, for summer there. So uh, you can always, hot dog month, always pair a pair of wine with hot dog, or when you go out on a picnic now, take a canned wine with you. There you go. That's a good use for canned wines on picnics or at the beach or something. Tuesday, the 2nd, National Anisette Day. Wednesday, the 3rd, National Chocolate Wafer Day. Have yourself some Cabernet and a chocolate wafer. Uh, Oh, my engineer just brought me my wine for the evening, and I'm getting excited. I'll tell you about it in a minute as soon as I finish this. The third, oh, the fourth, Independence Day, which is also National Barbecue Day and Caesar Salad Day. So you can pair them together and have yourself a uh, wine to go with your barbecue. And since it's National Hot Dog Month and Big Bean Month, get yourself out of Merlot or Pinot Noir Barbecue and Caesar Salad there. You're all set for the day. And watch the firecrackers go off. Friday, the fifth, National Apple Turnover Day. And as an aside, National Graham Cracker Day, uh, desserts, diverse demeanor, good with it. Saturday, National Fried Chicken Day. All right, that's always always good. I like fried chicken. Uh, speaking of fried chicken, uh, Cracker Barrel has been advertising their new fried chicken and went down last week and we had fried chicken at Cracker Barrel. Wasn't real, real impressed with it. Uh, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Cracker Barrel is good, but uh, my wife had a couple of chicken breasts that were boneless. That was, I think, just as good as the fried chicken I had. But it's a lot of fried chicken, and it's it's Cracker Barrel. Sunday, National Strawberry Sunday Day, National Macaroni Day, and World Chocolate Day. That's on the seventh. That's coming up a week week away, week from this Sunday. Eighth National Chocolate with Almonds Day. So you know, they throwing chocolate at us all over the place here. Sunday is National World Chocolate Day and Monday National Chocolate with Almonds. Tuesday, National Sugar Cookie Day. Wednesday the tenth, National Pinna Colada Day and Pink uh, Pink. Blueberries Day. Uh, and then the 11th, which we will be back then, National Blueberry Muffin Day. You pick your blueberries on the 10th, and you put them in a muffin on the 11th. And also National Mohif Day. So there are a lot of desserts and a lot of light stuff there, but I'm sure all of you out there can find creative wines to go with just about everything. So there you go
0: for the week. and uh, we'll- There's a... Um- there's two other countries that celebrate July 4th as a day of independence or freedom. Oh, really? Uh, not? Yeah. Uh, in the Philippines, this day is Republic Day. It's not the uh, Southeast Asian country's independence from Spain, but their independence from the U.S. The Philippines were a oh. U.S. territory until 1946. Uh, and in uh, the East uh, Country, uh, the Eastern African country of Rwanda, July Fourth is Liberation Day, when the country ended the awful Rwandan genocide in 1994 after 100 days of conflict. Man, that's not too long ago. Wow. That's, um, so they both—it's not U.S. Uh, uh, celebrations, but uh, they they do celebrate, and that's what they're celebrating. So they're both two other countries. In
2: Rwanda. Wow. Yeah. Good info there. Good info. I'm uh,
0: constantly looking up stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's
2: a couple other countries around the world that celebrate. So if you are listening to the radio from the the show from the Philippines or from Rwanda, you will be celebrating it next week also along with the United Mm -hmm. States. I wonder if they have fireworks like we do.
0: Um, I don't know. Don't. Don't, don't tempt know. me, because you know I'll you know I'll find it. I'll probably have videos. You'll, you'll on this. I, know. <laughs> I know. You'll search. <laughs> that's,
2: right. that's why. That's why so much fun. I talk, and then all of a sudden Mike comes in and says, "Hey, look what I just found." <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, this cool. I'm, yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, so tonight's wine. Uh, Screwcat. No, oh, that's cool. This is. I don't know if you have all ever heard of conundrum. There's a white wine out there called Conundrum, and it's
0: very good.
2: I mean, yeah, you know, I just I love it. It's around twenty dollars a bottle, and it's a blend of Chardonnay and Riesling, and I want to say Sauvignon Blanc and something else. It's like a four four wine blend, and it, it's very very good. I, I just love a bottle of Conundrum, and it just it pairs great with everything. We were doing wine shopping like we do periodically and we saw this bottle and it is the twenty sixteen California Conundrum. Red wine. And we're going, What? But we didn't know they made a red wine conundrum. And it says on the bottle California red blended a uh, red blend unique original to the Wagner family of wine products of California, USA, 2016 Conundrum, California, Charles F. Wagner, proprietor. I I don't know how Conundrum can be. Well, I, I would think that it would be a proprietary name, a registered name for the white wine, but maybe not. I don't recall who makes the Conundrum white, but maybe it's the same company. But it says on the back, Conundrum, original California red wine, vented and bottled by Conundrum Wines, Fairfield, California, conundrumwines.com. So I I don't think it's anything to do with the white wine. This is 14.9 APV, ABV, uh, ABV I, not P, ABV, and that's all it says. Obviously, the government warnings on there, but that's all it says, Wagner family. So, and I'm sure Mike is looking at conundrum wines even as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, it doesn't say what the blends are or anything else. Uh, I haven't had it. This is my first sip of it. So, while Mike is looking up conundrum wines, and he's mm-hmm. going to be telling us about it in a second here.
0: Ooh, found their website. Uh, Did you find anything about the wine? I have to – oh, come on. There we go. Uh, let's see. John Bolta is the winemaker. Um, hmm. Tasting notes. Uh, they're talking about uh, Conundrum White. It is uh, – what would that be under? Maybe it's the same Tasting company.
2: Conundrum White. Maybe it is the same company.
0: Hmm. Uh, do you have the bottle with you or, or... – I have You're the right? Conundrum red okay. right here. Oh, Conundrum Yeah,
2: California Conundrum 2016. But it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say what the blend is. It is very little information on this. It's just original California red wine, vintage and bottled by Conundrum Wines, Fairfield, California, and that's it.
0: Okay. Created from dark red varietals, including Petit Syrah, Zinfandel, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, oh. blah, 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 blah. Charlie Wagner is. Does uh Charles F Wagner proprietor appear on the label? Uh, if you noticed that, or um, yeah, it's right in the middle of the bottom. There. Okay. Is it, yeah, they show a uh, huh. Let's see if what the tasting notes show. Oh, it's in PDF. How nice.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> but it's, and, does it say the white There does it mention the white?
0: Yeah, there's a. Uh, Conundrum White and a blend of Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Semillon, Muscat, Canelli, and Vognier.
2: Oh wow! Okay, I I knew it had Chardonnay and and Sauvignon (laughs) Blanc, but I thought I had a in it. So that's uh, Vognier and Muscat. (laughs) That Muscat gives just a little hint of sweetness in there. So it is the same company. Uh, I thought Conundrum was a name of a wine from a different company. I, I haven't had a Conundrum white quite some time, so they finally came out with a Conundrum red, which is nice. I'm I'm sipping this. This is very nice. I'm not getting a whole lot of tannins, not a whole lot of acid either, though. I mean, it's just very, very pleasant. It's a 16, so it's. Uh,
0: that's what they. Sh- that's you the know, bottle they show on here too. Yeah, they show the. Is it the bottle? Does uh, it say uh, yeah, how long
2: it aged, or does it say anything else about it? Uh,
0: no, there's nothing even oh. in the uh, tasting notes. I don't see. Um, I don't see anything on here. Um, no, tasting notes. Director of winemaking. Let's let's do a quick call. <laughs> yeah. Well, California
2: is California, it? so about 4:15. Sure. There, 4:20. Sure. So.
0: Sure. let me just say, hey, uh, yeah. Get to, get to Mr. Charles on the phone, please, for us. <laughs> yeah.
2: you to Charles, please. Yes. This is, this is you're on the radio. This is all yes. about wine. Then he'll think we're on radio, radio, because nobody <laughs> right. really associates it with, and so talk to us. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. Though the label doesn't, the red label doesn't really say anything. It just says California Red no, Blend, it, unique and original to the Wagner family of wine products of California, USA, and that's it. Unless it's on the back, yeah, I don't yeah. see the. They don't show the back of the bottle. <laughs>
2: you know, the back of the bottle. All the back of the bottle has is its standard uh disclaimer. You know, the the government disclaimer, <laughs> government warning, mm-hmm. and. uh you know, wow. contains sulfides, seven fifty mil, alcohol, fourteen point nine, A B V, uh original California red wine vintage and bottled by That's it. I mean it's just a very
0: yeah.
2: uninformative and they they don't have a a, a QR code. Oh, on there. Okay. Uh hmm. that's you know, so well that, that is it's odd. That's odd. It's a yeah. good wine, though. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is very nice. It's not, not real tannic.
0: They also, um, they also make a rosé and a sparkling, as well.
2: Oh, I didn't know that either. They call those yeah. conundrums. Oh, well, they must because it's the name of the wine. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: Conundrums.
0: Conundrum rosé oh. and sparkling.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, Boy, I, I'm just. Uh, it's somewhat confused because conundrum white has been around for a long time. I've been telling people of the uh, uh, conundrum white for a long time. I've enjoyed it for a long time. And uh, it's, hmm. when we saw the red, we went, oh, wow, look at this. And uh, it's surprises mm-hmm. me that they have all that. We haven't heard more about all of it. So, <clears throat>
0: Yeah.
2: Well, try it, people. Uh, condenser white, condenser red. I haven't had the rosé or the sparkling. I'm just now having the red. And I'm, I'm really impressed with it. It's it's nice. This this would go well with the with the barbecue next week. Mm-hmm. You know, throw some burgers and hot dogs on the grill, and the baked beans on the side burner, and this would go great with with that because it's not not so overpowering, and yet I think it'd hold up well against against the other stuff. So. But the Conundrum Red, uh, light fruity screw cap. The Conundrum White, I don't remember having a screw cap, but maybe they've switched over. I don't know. Gonna have to. Are the Conundrum White? I'm gonna have to buy Conundrum White just just to see if it's the same one and all that. So, uh, well, interesting. So, so. uh, Go ahead. See, I told you, Mike does that stuff. He's very good about that. The science of enzymes in winemaking. I'm I'm not going to get into this a lot, but it's just interesting. Uh, Winemaking circles use of enzymes and and additives in general is controversial. Uh, You use enzymes, uh, our group of uh, enzymes, enological enzymes, our group that are used to, by winemakers to aid in the extraction. and uh, enhances aroma or it blocks malolactic fermentation. And malolactic fermentation is the second fermentation you get when you, uh, most noticeable in Chardonnays. Everybody really notices the malolactic fermentation in Chardonnay because they say, oh, I love a buttery Chardonnay Well, the buttery from a in a Chardonnay is from the malolactic fermentation. That's the uh, the second fermentation that goes through, and the malolactic fermentation is the malic acids that you find in, in milk, creams and stuff like that. That's why you get the butteriness. And uh, enzymes will help block that. You can get a second fermentation and a lot of stuff. I've uh, I've ordered stuff at the winery and it was going to a malolactic fermentation uh different things that I got and so it if you don't stop it it can just take over and change the wine uh, most of them are proteins so it uh they speed up the chemical process of stopping those things or blocking those things that's pretty good uh-huh. yeah I'm um Grapes and fermentation are rich in their own enzymes. Uh, they derive from the grapes themselves, uh, the bacteria and yeast and fungi in the, on the surface, and the production of alcohol by yeast is actually an enzymic process, uh, which basically converts sugar little by little into alcohol uh, by the enzymes within the yeast. That is the basic process of winemaking uh, naturally occurring enzymes are inhibited by the pH and sulfur dioxide or SO2 levels so it makes those inefficient in and acting up any significant changes for the fermentation and the wine's character or anything else uh, the winemaker controls that and stops that stuff So it's, so the natural ones don't get carried away Uh, enzymes were originally used in fruit juices back in the 1950s to increase the uh, juice yield and to improve the clarification of the juice and it was adopted by the wine industry basically worldwide back in the 70s uh, in the mid early to mid 70s commercial enzymes serve various practical functions in winemaking from all sorts of saving time uh, and space, increasing yield, uh, stopping fermentation, controlling what you're doing, and all that. Its Enzymes are are a good tool, a friendly tool for the winemaker. Uh, names of the majority of the enzymes end in A-S-E, which make them easy to identify. So if you start reading labels and you see... A-S-E at the end of it, most of those are enzymes. And I can give you names here, but they're long, and I will probably destroy it anyway. So, uh, you know, the best-known group of enzymes are uh, pectylactic or pectic enzymes, and they are derived from uh, various fungi, uh, fungi. uh, Again, I can tell you the names of the fungi that are technical names, and I will probably destroy those, and you won't remember them anyway. So, uh, (laughs) uh, I've I've learned my lesson. Pectins are related compounds. They're usually largely responsible, actually, for cell structure and cell binding in fruits. Uh, The epithelactic enzymes break down pectins at different points of connection, thereby breaking down grape cells, which allow for the application of different uh, times during winemaking. So, for example, in white wine and red wines, pectylactic enzymes increase juice yield from the grapes and the quantity of aromatic uh, precursors in uh, in must, so in the free and press and stuff like that. Aromatic precursors refers to aromatic compounds like terpenes that remain bound to the molecules. Okay, so I'm not I don't want to get too deep into scientific on this, and this article does. It goes, you know, has like three or four more lines here doing that. But basically, they're not uh, molecules in grapes are not aromatic until they're liberated during fermentation, which is a good thing to know there. You can take a grape and squeeze it and smell it and you won't get the aromas and the aromatic compounds until the fermentation starts. Uh, some wineries filter white must before fermentation and more complete sedimentation and makes the white must easier to handle as well as up to three times faster, excuse me, three times faster. Doing that saves time, saves space, and it saves wear and tear on filters when you're running it through because you get all that stuff out of there before you run through the filters. Uh, Cleaner white wine must also lead to more ester production and fruitier wines. So this is what your enzymes will do uh, over time is separate that stuff. And red must, uh, pectolactic enzymes, break down pectins to release color and tannin much faster. So it gives you for shorter desired levels of extraction and shorter macerations. So this is another. I use enzymes for logistical reasons to free up tanks, to move stuff out and everything gives you a way to start getting tanks free so you can bring in the next batch of grapes and stuff like that so the enzymes uh, will do that um, before all the sugar has been converted to alcohol uh, the enzymes on the larger lots usually are, uh, use press off sugar uh, so that is one of the purposes of enzymes with red wines uh, let's see, B- blocking lactic acid bacteria and malolactic fermentation. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, where are we? Let's see. Notephone. And wine is commonly used, uh, the uh, lysozyme is commonly used to block malolactic fermentation. Lysozyme degrades the cell walls of lactic acid bacteria among other types, making it effective to prevent the malolactic fermentation. Uh, And that's good for years up to the bottling, so you can leave it in tanks. That's why it's used in red wine so much because it keeps it from starting to ferment again because it will block all the stuff. Uh, Now, this is one of the things, though, commercially available lysozyme is extracted from egg whites and egg whites contain high concentrations of this. That is one of the things that organic wines and biodynamic wines should not be using because it puts it in a different category, although there are exceptions, and they allow them to use that. If someone's looking for a vegan wine, this would disqualify it as such because you're using eight whites in the enzymes. In line, but it's there. Uh, this enzyme allows the winemakers to use less SO2, which is a good deal because people always scream about SO2, but then again, it's still egg whites. It's still eggs. Um, 50 parts per million, of SO2 to must before fermentation to block uh, malolactic fermentation. After further SO2 is made in the balling and stuff like that, but if you use a Lizzozyme, it helps to remove the, bac- the malolactic bacteria. Uh, lower pH wines require much less SO2. Um, by adding this Lizzozyme, winemakers can still block the malolactic fermentation for the lower pH wines while making smaller SO2 additions. So if you're a anti-SO2 person, then the enzymes help prevent that. So it's used a lot in it. That, this is one of the things that they're talking about when they start talking about labeling wines with ingredients. They would have to label it with these different enzymes, which most people won't even know what they are, what they do, and what they mean, but it will be something that would be required on a full disclosure label. Uh, so actually, if you look at it, enzyme is probably better than a lot more SO2. In reality, so or 2, you can start detecting it and all that. So lysozymes are non-aromatic, and it will probably be best for you if you use lysozymes. Uh, the aromatic compounds are also released by enzymes. A uh, glycosidase uh, glycos, yeah, is used to unbind aromatic compounds, uh, especially terpenes and grapes aroma compounds are primarily glycosylated or bound to sugar molecules. And then these are not volatile and therefore not aromatic. So during fermentation, varying levels of grape aromatics are unbound and become volatile and aromatic. So using deglytoside releases that. The intensity of wines from turpin-rich grapes like muscat and roigny can be elevated by the action of glycoside enzymes. Uh, Different types of beta-glycoside is probably the most common one for that. Certain yeast strains produce lower quantities of this enzyme than others, so winemakers can add a certain amount of commercial-derived glycosides, and this will boost And intensify aromatics in the wine. So, enzymes enzymes are are good for that stuff there now, and and for aromatics also. Um, The idea of adding additives to wine uh, is always controversial. This is something that why they want to have a full disclosure wine label because of aromatics, or because of additives in wine, enzymes being the most common. Enzymes are naturally occurring. They're not a chemical combination. They're not a GMO, as that scares people. It is a, uh, naturally occurring. And uh, if you understand how they work, what they do, uh, chemistry involved in the structures and compounds, at least a full understanding of the grapes and the wine development, and you can you know, accept that it is part of the wine development and it's there to enhance the flavors. And <coughs> excuse me. Catch my throat. It is there to enhance the flavors. It is there to enhance the aromas. It is there to help the winemaker stop malactive fermentation and all that. So enzymes... Are a good thing. It's something that we uh, winemakers use, and it's not just in wine, by the way. Uh, enzymes are used in a lot of other stuff. If you start looking into it and start checking, you would be amazed at how much enzymes are used for that stuff. But since this is all about wine, we are staying with that. So so enzymes, uh, science of enzymes. Again, it's, when I say science, it does can get into a lot more detail it's very easy to get in a lot more detail about enzymes but uh, it uh, it is something you don't need to worry about if you start seeing full disclosure on wine labels which they continue to talk about that or click to a website to find out about it or something like that if you start seeing things that end in you know what was that a Z. Let me see here. You yeah, ASE. If you start seeing any names that end in an ASE, more than likely, it is an inside. So, uh, all right, let's go into something else. Uh, nope, not there. I haven't talked about phylloxera in a while. Let's talk about phylloxera. Uh, Phylloxera. Phylloxera is the mite that got into grapes and devastated the wine-growing industry in Europe in the late 19th century. Uh, late 1800s, France, French wines were almost lost forever because of phylloxera. It is, in fact, I. it's been a while. Let's go into a little bit more detail on this phylloxera here because it's been a while since we've talked about it. And if you're new to the program, then I'll tell you a little bit about it. If you're not new to the program, this is a review. Starting around 1860, a tiny little... Yellow louse, L-O-U-S-E louse called phylloxera. Uh, spelled P-H-Y-L-L-O-X-E-R-A, pronounced phylloxera. Decimated Europe's vineyards. Uh, was brought to the country uh, continent unknowingly by botanists through the American native vines. They brought American cuttings from. California in different places, native grapes um, uh, from the East Coast, muscadine, basically, and they took it over to Europe. And the muscadine grapes have been growing in America for a long, long time, long, 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 long time. And during that long, long, long time, they built up an immunity to phylloxera so it was not affecting the grapevines. That does not mean though that the phylloxera lice the little uh, yellow lice was not still around. So once they took these vines to Europe the pests went oh my gosh look at this we have ourselves a whole bunch of new grapevines that we can eat and destroy. When the damage was done Vineyards throughout the world were changed forever, literally changed forever. The uh, implication that phloxra got into the wine grape vineyards around the world it did a uh, just did a, a number on everything. The lice, uh, lice, the louse has two life cycles. It's above ground and below ground. Um, with an occasional time when they bridge the two so yeah it is one but eggs overwinter either in the soil or resting above it after they hatch the louses below ground feed on a vine's roots those above ground feed on leaves so the plant just doesn't have a chance Some of them fall to the ground and crawl back to the roots. So it's just, you you can't spray because, well, they'll just go underground and eat the roots and kill the plant that way. The damage done by the subterranean phylloxia allows for a soil-borne fungi to enter the wounds and it kills the roots, which kills the plant the lice that are on the leaves help spread the epidemic. They can be blown by the wind to another plant or they hang glide more than flap their wings. They do have wings but they don't fly so much as they just sort of you know, float through the air and they can but they you know, fly, but they just sort of float through the air and go to the next plant. So when you have a vineyard, and we've all seen vineyards, and how close they are together and everything, then you know how devastating that can be. They start reproducing two to four weeks after their first meal. So some species... <coughs> Excuse me, let me get another sip of wine here. Mm. <coughs> That conundrum is good. You definitely have to try. Some species lay one egg that will overwinter. Other uh, pathogenic phylloxera lay up to 200 eggs that will hatch within a month. That means that you can have many generations throughout a growing season, which will continue to spread to the entire vineyard. That's why you can wipe out a vineyard so quickly adding to it is vineyards, where how they're arranged. Uh, Vineyards were wilder and more dense back at the uh, uh, late 1800s, and uh, there's more blending of different types of grapes in the field. You would have a roll of Cabernet and next to it a roll of Merlot, and next to that a roll of something else. they didn't separate as much as they did now. They propagated vines by taking the tips and bending them down into the ground, uh, which you can do that now if you have a vineyard. You know, a lot of I, I talked to one winery who said that whenever he wants more plants, he takes the shoots and puts a brick on it and lets it go into the ground and builds its own little plant and he takes it from there. Uh, so, the, the neat rows of vines you see today organized with organized blocks and all that were actually a response to the phylloxia epidemic. The more space between the vines translates to fewer chances for the pests to spread and it's easier for the grower to catch issues faster. So, the way you see the vines arranged now, is a uh, result of phylloxera. By 1878, the invasion in Europe had killed 915,000 acres with another 620,000 acres dying. So it had killed 915. That represents more than 25% of France's total acreage at the time. And then Oxford moved northward until 1895, and the French wine production decreased by half during that time period. They panicked. They panicked because of the fact that the grapevine has been there forever and ever, and thousands of the ventures decided to flee the country and go elsewhere because they thought that there was all sorts of different reasons for the flocks, And it's interesting to read some of the things that they did. I mean, someone just literally burned their vineyards to the ground, thinking that was going to help, It replanted it, and it was affected again, because burning your vineyards to the ground did not kill the lice in the ground, or the louse in the ground. So the government offered a 300,000-franc reward for whoever can solve the problem. In the Marne region, residents rang church bells in terror when the pests arrived on their vines. It was it was a serious thing there. Uh, a, a fun read is looking up some of the things that they did. Flood vineyards. Uh, some areas actually flooded the vineyards, uh, thinking that was going to take care of it, uh, which it, it did to an extent, but not totally. It would have been the end of France's wine industry, uh, and actually, there's <laughs> there's some people that still say it was the end of the French wine industry uh, as we know it. If American rootstocks weren't grafted onto Europe's vice vinifera vines because, like I said earlier, the rootstock of American was immune to it. And that's one of the reasons why people argue that the French wine industry has been destroyed because it's grafted onto American rootstock. The rootstock doesn't change a plant. And let me explain that, too. It doesn't change anything at all. i like to describe it as your vascular system, your blood system. If they can transplant my entire blood system into you and yours and to me, I would still be me, and you would still be you. Just because we have different blood systems doesn't mean that it would change us. The same thing with grafting onto rootstock. Whatever is above ground, you graft onto it. The rootstock is the blood system. It's the warding and feeding and all that. It has nothing to do with the grapes. It doesn't change the grapes. It doesn't do anything to it. You can graft an orange tree onto an apple rootstock, and it will still be an orange tree. So, it didn't change. Experiments in southern France vineyards began in the 1870s, and the success of it proved that grafting in the 1881 and the Bordeaux region in 1887 in the Burgundy region actually worked, although they didn't weren't real thrilled about the American rootstock being there. Different regions and different story types required different approaches, but grafting became the status quo, and it worked. Uh, vitus ripestris rep- and vitus ripera were the two basic wine stocks. It took a Texan... There you go, Mike, to save the southwest French region of Clermont, where Cologne is located. It's a salt, uh, chalky soil and didn't respond to the American rootstock. So, a delegation headed by Montpelier's winemaker visited Munson at his home in Denison, Texas. They rode horsebacks and had fun, and then they also found phylloxera resensis, species of grapes and they managed a French-American graft until Texan rootstocks took place. So the uh, Cognac area of France was grafted on Texas rootstock. That was actually what helped stop that. Insect hit Australia, beginning in 1875. The country, not Australia, Uh, After European varieties were imported in recent years, many Australian states have been declared phylloxera exclusion zones. where the bug has not been yet detected. South America, phylloxera arrived in 1886, or South Africa, I'm sorry, South Africa. Phylloxera arrived in 1886. South African producers quarantined American rootstocks for grafting. And like Australia... Some sources trace South Africa's 1880 outbreak to a particular vineyard, and they blame it on that because they brought in plants from France, and so they blame all that. like like blaming the Great Chicago Fire on, on the, the cow, what's, what's her uh Miss O'Leary. Yeah, that's it. O'Leary's cow. Um, like bringing the the big fire on, on a cow. They were blaming vineyards. One particular vineyard was the reason why they got it in South Africa. In 1937, a mother block of rootstock was created to prepare for another infestation. And it was largely ignored. Uh, yeah, it was taken upon uh, uh, a Anton Nill took it upon himself to save uh, the mother block in case of another epidemic, and they've had them since then. Uh, they don't know why they don't feed on sandier sites. Uh, the, San, the California San Joaquin Valley is a river. Uh, is a vineyard split by rivers and the sandy bank is for free but infestation has been detected away from the sand. Phloxera still is rare, uh, but it does pop up every once in a while. In the 1980s, Napa Valley experienced a scare. Uh, they use, there's five basic rootstocks that are used to graft. These these five basic ones you used to grab the big one, the most common one, was the XR, uh, AXR-1. And the AXR-1 failed in the 80s uh, in uh, Northern California and Napa Valley. It spread to Oregon and or Washington. Uh, panic set in, panic, panic, panic. Uh, but uh, they had uh, a lot of other, they had these other four, and so they replanted using new rootstock. The St. George clone is the one that's used more often than anything now, it's a modern rootstock. But it is starting to show signs of succumbing to phylloxera, and so they're really concerned about that in some areas. Uh, any new planting in Napa uses resistant rootstock, and they check it thoroughly before it is planted and before it is used uh, in, the, uh, in the ground. Any uh, eastern um uh, also is very cautious about that. Phlox is basically controlled. Is basically when Napa replanted back in the 80s. They replanted a lot of their vineyards in Cabernet Sauvignon. They had a variety of different ones. Cabernet Sauvignon was really catching on to its own then, and that was around the times that the, the judgment in Paris, where the uh, California Cabernet Sauvignon and California Chardonnay was winning in Paris at judgments at uh, uh, competitions. And so when that happened they replanted a lot of napa and cabernet sauvignon and they still do there's a lot of cabernet sauvignon but you know when they command 5000 dollars a ton you can't blame them for doing that uh there are places in the world that are not grafted uh tastings of wine made from ungrafted rootstock is a treasure treat there's a few places around the world you can find that uh, some plots in Champagne uh, for some reason resisted the insect uh, their uh, Bollinger vineyard uh, in uh, uh, Napa, uh, Sonoma has two vineyards of Pinot Noir that are not grafted and there's uh, a few others around the world. Uh, the uh, it's it's a cult thing. A uh, single vineyard, ungrafted vines are rare, but it's something that people look for. Chile has never been affected by phylloxera. The whole country. The reason you have the ocean on one side, you have the mountains on the other side. And you have very very strict control coming into Chile for any plants that come in. They have their plants there, and they, they are really quite cautious about it. So, <coughs> excuse me again. So, Chile is very very cautious about the grapes coming in. So, what I understand, Chile does not have a phylloxera problem, and because of that, then the wines you get from Chile. Now, is there a difference between grafted and non-grafted? I would say no. Without hesitation, I would say no. Because like I say, grafting does not make a difference in the grapes. But you can do tastings and find them around, around the world of grapes that are ungrafted vines, and make a judgment. Just like, you know, Biodynamic and regular vines and stuff. Is there a difference, you know, just for yourself? But just a review and a little update on phylloxera there. We haven't talked about that in a while, so it was time, I think, to revisit uh, phylloxera. Okay, let me see. Is there something else we can cover for a few minutes here before we end? I think so. What is this one? Uh, Oh, well, maybe not. Let me see. Uh, Oh, and while we're talking about bugs, let's cover this quickly here. Pierce disease, this is something that also affects warmer climates. And the Pierce disease and the glassy wing sharpshooter board has just released their newest reports, and they're saying that they're finding eggs in different areas that haven't been in before, but that's it no no bug no glass swing sharpshooter, so it's being controlled quite well around uh you know California and actually around the country uh Fresno had a Eggs, planted, uh, eggs noticed on plants, Madeira County and Tulare County all sold in those zoning outbreaks in 2018 uh, for the glass ring sharpshooter and uh, egg sacs or the bug itself. So Pierce disease seems to be controlled a little bit more. Florida, a big area for the glass ring sharpshooter and Pierce disease, uh, there's, there's constant research going into it, they haven't found the cure there is no cure so far there is no way to stop it but it's an ongoing research ongoing thing uh, Pierce's disease will kill a plant once the glass wing sharpshooter gets into it it's a little small bug about a quarter of an inch once it gets into it it starts uh, eating the bug or eating the plant and the bug kills the plant so it might take a season, but there's no recovery from it. So that's another bug that is a major problem, such in warmer climates, and there's constant, constant monitoring of plants around the country. And hopefully with the global climate change and with it getting warmer further north, we're not going to get the glass green sharpshooter and or pierce disease moving north. That uh, is something that they need, they're constantly looking at also. So, I think we're we're done for tonight. Uh, Let's see, there's something else. Uh, Yeah, I think that. California to ban pesticide. They said it hurts babies' brains. Yeah. California has all the rules and regulations. If you're listening to me from California, you know you have lots and lots of rules and regulations there on everything. And uh but they're looking at banning pesticides because they say that <clears throat> they say that the neurotoxin in pesticides was first put on market in nineteen sixty five. It's been on the shelf for a long time. And it's passes sell-by date. They said it should be, using. You know, well, if we put a market in 65, then uh, I guess the, the people that have been born since 65, it's already affected their brains. There's not much we can do about that, uh, which might, you know, explain a few things out there. So uh, hmm. California is looking at getting away from pesticides and, contributing uh, a safer method of controlling uh the vineyards. Five point seven million dollars is being <clears throat> excuse me, five point seven million dollars are being contributed to research and development of safer alternatives. So uh so that's what's happening out there with that. You know banning pesticides, mm-hmm. I think you know that and you know, ultimately, what this is going to do? and We, we go, oh, you know, well, yeah, we we would really like to see them banned. There's no question about that. But what's going to happen is the alternatives are going to be cheap. What we will see is two buck chuck, or actually three buck chuck now, maybe three twenty-five buck chuck, or something like that, because you can't pay for the pesticides, and not have an effective price of everything. So uh, something to, uh, to consider there. But they're looking at And since so many wines come out of California, it's going to affect the price. I just saw something here, too, and I, I, I saw this the other day, and I was fascinated. Uh, the Livermore Valley, if you're in California, you go to San Francisco, you say, Oh, I want to go to Napa. Yeah, you have to go to Napa at least once. While you're up at Napa, cross over the mountain, go to Sonoma. And then the next day, you can take a trip down to Monterey area and visit the Monterey area. If you really want to drive, go down to Paso Robles and visit the Paso Robles growing area. Or you can take another day trip and go up to the foothills of California. Or you can take an afternoon, a leisurely afternoon or leisurely morning And drive over to the Livermore Valley, which is just actually just east of, I guess, San Jose would be uh, the town that would be equivalent. San Jose is just south of San Francisco. So if you're going to San Francisco, take in Napa Valley. And I just saw this here, it listed the AVAs for Napa Valley. And I, I was surprised at all the ones that are here now. I mean, you've got uh, a bunch of them. I think there's 12 of them here. When I first started visiting Napa, there was only two or three wineries, Winty, Concannon. I think there was another one. Now they've got 12 AVA's, uh, San Ramon Valley, Mount Diablo Highlands, which is the biggest one, northern one. Uh, Palomaris, Sinol, uh Valocitos, Amador Valley, Valdeora, Ruby Hill, Mindenhall Springs, Crane Ridge, Tesla, and Altamont. And you may have heard of some of those names. You might have seen them on bottles already. They're out there, but these are there's 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They are 12 AVAs and Valley now and it's close to San Francisco it's an easy ride you just go east out of San Francisco go across the uh, Bay Bridge east of San Francisco go through uh, Oakland and uh, Berkeley and I think it's 24 heading east there Take 24 out to what is that 80 I can't remember right now and just go south a short distance, and you're there. So that's a easy, quick visit to uh, wineries if you're in San Francisco. And if you don't have the time to make your day trips to any of the others, Napa Valley, is, uh, Napa Valley is a good day trip, as is Sonoma. Livermore is a quick afternoon jaunt over there. And so keep that in mind. And one other thing, too, I've contacted a few wineries over this past week asking if they're getting any smoke taint from all the fires out west. And there's lots of fires out west again now. We're into the season. And none of them have said that they are getting any any smoke from it. It's early in the season, so it's not a big issue anyway. We're getting uh, just, you know, we don't have, grapes out there and all that it's just a matter of you know they're still growing and they're still coming up and the bud break and the flowering and stuff so it's not a big issue right now but once they contact the ones that responded uh, no smoke no issue but we'll see what happens as the grapes develop and if we're going to have a smoke issue this year on the grapes
0: so Mm. I am done now All um Yeah, I was was looking up some information uh, while you were talking about the Phylloxera, found some information. Um, uh, Texas History website, um, there's an article that was uh, referencing that, and all about uh, Thomas Munson, who was uh, the key to um, figuring out uh, the grafting and everything, uh, and and I'll I'll send you a link to that, but anyway, (laughs) it's kind of a Oh, it's good. a lengthy, lengthy article, but it's kind of interesting how that all came about and what it, it did. That stuff is, you know, that yeah. stuff
2: is interesting. I mean, you know, any listeners out there, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff to see that stuff and all. Yeah. Uh, I and put that up on the uh, All About Wine Facebook page. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, so um, yep. Something else I want to mention too, I want to tell you about here is just uh, a new wine that's out. Uh, it's called Lovers, Dreamers, Fighters, and Believers Red Wine. It is from Tank Garage Winery in Calistoga, California. It's distributed through select markets around the country. It says Tank Garage Winery launched its latest wine blend called Lovers, Dreamers, Fighters, and Believers. It's 14.9 ABV. It's a red wine blend of 54% Syrah, 36% Merlot. Grenache and 3% Grenier. It's part of a special record release inspired by the combination of music and wine, two art forms that are complex and alive, the company says. The record features artists in the rock, folk and indie genres and will be available at the winery and online for a suggested retail price of $20. And the wine is the suggested retail price of $60 a bottle. So... Tank Garage Winery. That's uh, internet at tankgaragewinery.com. So if you're interested in the album, check that out too. That's only twenty dollars. Uh, they said record. I wonder if it really is a record or well, it's a CD. But uh, tankgaragewinery.com.
0: So there you go. Now I am done. Okay, and I just posted the article to the Facebook page, so that's on there as well. So that's what I was just typing right. out. So there you go. Um, you all know,
2: want to check that out yeah. and then, you know, yeah. on uh, the
0: Texas – A big, Texas help read.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it is, you know those, those are fun reads. It's, you know, uh, Phylaxra and, and PD and all of those, those are interesting stuff. I – I've talked about them all before in the programs and things, and uh, we had a lot of information. But it's always you know, always fun to go on and look up different articles and read different things because there's there's a a lot of
0: interesting things out there happening with that. A lot of interesting stuff. So. Yeah. So. Um. Very good, uh, very good information. Um, we, as we've mentioned earlier in the show, we will not have a show next week. It is uh, July 4th, uh, celebrated uh, here in the U.S. and two other countries, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> so, uh, Rwanda and the Philippines. The Philippines, yeah. So um, yeah. we will we will be off and uh, celebrating as well. Um, thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we will see you all then on uh, July the – 11th? 11th. You know, I am on I'm on June. I saw I saw thirteenth. I go that's not mathematically right. It is yeah, yeah the eleventh. <laughs> the eleventh, <11th, laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh so we'll be you back in a, July the eleventh. Yeah, yeah. I so saw this this month though still. I was like, I come yeah. I didn't. So rare, gonna, rare really rarity t- that we
2: until Fourth Falls mm-hmm. on a Thursday, but it happened.
0: Too, yes. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's gonna be. Yeah, interesting. So a lot of people may have uh, four day weekends too. Uh, have Thursday and Friday off, and then Saturday and Sunday. You're Sundays, absolutely right. So there you go. Yeah. Um, enjoy it. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you all in uh, two weeks on the 11th. Thanks for tuning in.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, thank you we'll for sign listening. out now.
2: Yeah. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.
1: Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.